God has spoken. Understand Asa Shaman. I have a friend here today that I just uh, could not wait to have come share with you. Uh, his name is Eric Berry. Eric is the Vice President of Team Expansion, a, an incredibly great missions organization that equips people all around the world to reach the people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Eric is an expert in this area. And uh, last spring, we were sitting together in the cafe, and Eric began to talk with Mike Long and I about what is going on in the world. And, and what sparked the conversation was this. I said, Eric, I'm hearing uh, uh, stories of people in the Islamic areas of the world that we've not been able to reach or penetrate that are talking about revival taking place and hundreds and thousands of people giving their lives to Christ. And, and a lot of it's happening because of dreams and visions. And he's like, oh yeah. And he began to tell us. But he said there's something even bigger. It's the six great failings of Islam. And uh, when he began to, to say, this is last day stuff. This is God literally doing what God does to, to position the world so that the message of Jesus Christ would go out in an incredible way. And he began to unveil. Man, I was about to leap off my seat. Listen to what it says in Acts 17, verse 26. It says, And God, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having, now this is what God has done, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries of their habitation that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Do you know what the, that just said? We're told that God himself actually positions people groups and nations and boundaries and habitations so that the message of the gospel would go. And when you start seeing historically what's occurred, you step back and go, wow, God did this. And we get to be a part of it. We live in the most amazing time ever. And Eric's going to share that with us today. So I'd like to ask you right now, Crossroads, would you join me? Welcome Eric Berry as he comes to share today. Well, it's awesome to be here. Uh, thank you. Uh, we, uh, we've been blessed by Pastor Chuck and Pam and Mike Long and their ministry for decades. And so it's a real honor for me. Uh, to be here with you today. And I, I want to talk to you about uh, a God who loves the world and a God who is doing what it says in Haggai uh, 2.7. He is shaking the nations so that the desire of the nations might come to him. Um, and when we, when we think of Islam, a, a lot of us are kind of, frankly, fearful. Uh, we're kind of intimidated by it. We're worried about it. it, it, it they, they seem violent. They seem aggressive. Or, or maybe we're angry about it. Uh, their, their dislike for the United States, calling us the great Satan, all that kind of stuff. And, and now there's this Arab Spring going on where one after another, they're throwing off dictator. Uh, the president of Tunisia uh, fled. The president of Egypt fled. Gaddafi was killed. The president of Yemen has, has resigned. 
what, what is going on in the world? And, and what does that have to do uh, with God's people? And what does that have to do with the end of time and the last days? And, and wh- what is, where's God in all this? And what does it all mean? And, and, and what should we be thinking about? And how should we view this? And, and I, I think when we understand this, uh, we will marvel at what God's doing. And I think it'll help us to get a clear, clear vision of God's heart and what he's doing. And, and we're just going to want to join in with that and be a part of it. So let's ask God to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we honor you. We praise you. We worship you. You are a God who, who shakes the nations. You are a God that loves every single person. You are a God who speaks. And Father, we ask that Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, we would hear his voice this morning. Please, Holy Spirit, speak to us, speak to this group, speak through me, Father. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, All right, let's get right into uh, the six big losses of Islam. Now, Islam got started about 610. Muhammad, their prophet, started seeing visions and dreams. 622, he's a a full-bore military and religious leader. And Islam takes off, and it starts to spread all throughout the world. Uh, It's it's even conquering places where Christianity had been established. Islam moves in and, and kind of takes Christianity out. It's kind of a black uh, unpleasant part of history. But in 632, Muhammad dies. And when he dies, they, they pick a successor, a guy who's going to be this military, political, and religious leader that he has been. Uh, and he's called the Caliph. And he rules over what's called the caliphate. And, and for a th- they, they picked a thousand, this, this went on for hundreds of years, for like 1,300 years. Islam had been growing and expanding and, and, and frankly overcoming all obstacles. Uh, all that began to change in, in the 1900s. And the first big loss for Islam comes in World War I. Uh, the caliphate in the Islamic empire what was called the Ottoman Empire, had aligned itself with Germany. And they were defeated in World War I. And not only were they defeated, but the center of their power was in Istanbul, Turkey. And, and Turkey began to be, want to be modernized and westernized. And that led to big loss number two. In 1924, the president of Turkey, a man named Atatürk, who's a hero to this day in Turkey, he, being a Muslim, he goes to the caliph, he goes to the caliphate there in Istanbul, Turkey, and he says to them, you guys need to pack up. You guys need to leave. This is over. This is done. They, they wanted to be modern. They wanted to be Western. They, they were kind of wanting to be more secular. And he disbanded the caliphate. And, and they, he disbanded the mechanism to pick a new successor to Muhammad. Imagine the president of Italy going to the Vatican, going to the Pope and saying, hey, you know what? This is over. You guys need to pack it up. We're going to close down the Vatican. We're going to disband the College of Cardinals. Go on home. For Islam, that was like Catholicism losing the Pope and the Vatican. They were like, whoa, what do we do now? That was big loss number two. Now, big loss number three, I bet you've heard a lot about it here. In 1948, the nation of Israel was established. That's big loss number three for them. 
that, that, is, that shakes their sense of, of, of dominance. And, and now, Islam feels like they are the, the, the religion, they have the prophet, and that all the world is going to become Islamic. Now, Israel is an affront to that. They, they, they had been gaining territory for, for 1,300 years, and then they lost this spot. Now, not only, did they lose, not only was Israel born as a nation, but, but frankly, if you go up and you stand on Mount Nebo where Moses stood and you look at Israeli territory, Israel is, is lush, it's green, it's prosperous, it's modern. Israel has planted 300 million trees. Israel has been so blessed of God in fulfillment of biblical prophecy, they've actually changed the rain cycle. It rains in Israel now. And if you look across and you, you can see right where Israel ends, and right where the Muslim lands begin, it, they're desolate and barren. And frankly, Israel is an affront to the Muslims' identity as, as the superior religion. And, 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 and since the birth of Israel, uh, in the Muslim world, there has been a longing to, 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 to wipe Israel out, to, to, to get rid of Israel. Uh, they began to say, man, We've got, we got three losses here. What are we going to do? And, and, and they began to have pan-Arab unity movements. So one of them, the, the most famous, was led by Abdul Nasser, the president of Egypt. And he said, these Arab nations, we have to unite. We have to wipe out Israel. We have to restore the glory of Islam. And this became a huge a huge deal on, on the radio and in the newspapers. We're going to restore the glory of Islam. We're going to wipe out Israel. They, they, they announced the day and everything. And they had, the, they had the planes. They had the bombers on the, on the uh, runway. They were, the propellers are spinning. They're loaded with bombs. They're ready to take off and attack Israel. And Israel launches what became big loss number four for Islam the Six-Day War. Israel launches a preemptive strike and they take out this, this air force that's gonna attack them. In six days, three million Jews defeat 150 million uh, Arab Muslims. It, it, was, it was devastating, so much so that, in, that in, 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 in Muslim circles, it's not called the defeat, it's called the humiliation. It, it's, it's brutal for them. Now, we know we can, you know, we can see the hand of God in that and, and raising up Israel in the fulfillment of prophecy, but, but they're not seeing it that way. Um, they're, they're crushed by it. And, and, and Islam begins to say, what is going on? Why have we lost all this? How can, we, how can we unite again? How can we restore this caliphate? How can we restore the Islamic empire? And, and a man arises on the scene Big loss number five, Ayatollah Khomeini rises to power in Iran. And Khomeini rises to power telling the whole Muslim world, you, we have lost the glory, we have lost the caliphate because we are not doing Islam like it needs to be done. You guys don't fast, you guys don't pray, you don't go to the mosque, you don't cover your women, the men don't have beards, that's what he said. If it, <laughs> that was his theory. <laughs> and he says, Islam is the answer. It's not pan-Arabism. It's Islam. We've got to get back. We've got to get back to fundamental Islam. We've got to do this right. And he says, if we do this, if we do this, the, uh, 
Jesus will return as a Muslim. He will convert all of Christianity to, to Islam and will usher in this golden age. And, and, and people buy this. People are marching in the streets in England carrying huge banners saying, Islam is the answer. They're marching on the street. They start attending the mosque. They start building mosques like crazy. This fundamentalist resurgence, they impose a strict, uh, hardcore Islamic regime in Iran. And then something strange happens. The, the, the young people, they're not really buying this fundamentalist stuff. They're kind of rebelling. Now, now I've got four kids, and I'm not real big on youth rebellion, but this happened to work out really well. Uh, Khomeini said, well, the West is bad. Christianity's bad. Bibles are bad. So what do the young people do? Yeah, if you've got kids, you know what they did. They went out and got Bibles. <laughs> they, they start reading the Bible, and this incredible revival breaks out in Iran. Now, I've heard, I've heard stories of, of anywhere from 220,000 Christians. The, I talked to a guy at the, at the National Missionary Convention and said there are now 2 million converts to Christianity in Iran. Yeah, clap. I'm from Venezuela. I like it when you get excited. Yeah, 2 million converts to Christianity. The, I don't know if you caught this on the news, but uh, back in February or March, they were talking about the Iranian government raiding a town, uh, raiding all the churches in this one town. And they said there were 200 churches. Now the crummy part is they're persecuting the church. The amazing part is in one town, there are 200 churches for the glory of God. I mean, it's growing like crazy. The, uh, a friend of mine told me a story about this guy from the Baha'i faith that he was working with who was, who was come out of Iran. He was in the United States. He was preaching to him. He was sharing with him. Spent a couple months with him. Never got anywhere. The guy just really wasn't buying it. The guy goes back to Iran. Now, because the man had been in the United States, everybody in Iran figured, well, he knows all about Christianity. And people are coming up to this guy and saying, tell us what we got to do to become Christians. And the guy calls George and he says, hey, listen, they're all asking me, what do I have to do? George says, well, tell them what I told you. And this guy is telling these people, this Baha'i guy is sharing with these Iranian guys how to become Christians and they're converting. <laughs> yeah, come on, get excited. That's, that's fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in Venezuela, if you don't clap and holler, I don't think you really like me. I'm, it's a relational culture. I, I got to have that affirmation there. Anyway, uh, so, so you can see how what for us was a horrible thing, the, the rise of Khomeini in Iran, God has, God has used it. He uses all things for good. And he's used this in an incredible way. Iran is, in fact, the, 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 the place where there is the biggest revival in a Muslim nation. Now, the sixth big loss was September 11, 2001, 9-11. Now, we know that that was a loss for us as a country, but it was a loss for Islam. Uh, Muslim extremists took out the Twin Towers they got on TV and they were saying, we are true Islam. We are the real Islam. And, and Muslims across the world are going, that's the real Islam? I I Islam is the answer? That's the real Islam? And, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're disillusioned. They're like, well, th that's not what I signed up for. 
That's, that's not what I'm about. When, when Muslims say we're a religion of peace, I'm going to tell you the vast majority really believe that. Yeah, they've been deceived, but they, 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 aren't really, they aren't really signing up to be terrorists and to kill innocent people. And that's what happened. That's what happened. When, when Khomeini took power back in 79, the first thing he did was he attacked Iraq. And, and that started a bloody war. Uh, three million Muslims died in that war. The worst part of it is one million of them were children, less than 12 years old. And what they did was they put these kids in front of the tanks and they marched them through the minefields to clear the minefields so that the tanks could roll through. A million kids died that way. And then to, to uh, 9-11, these terrorists saying, we are true Islam. And Muslims across the world are going, this is true Islam? And there is a spirit of disillusionment with Islam. And, 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 and what is happening is they are begun, they are, what you're seeing all across the world right now is Muslims saying democracy is the answer. Freedom is the answer. On the internet, they see, play, they see countries all over the Europe and the Western Hemisphere that uh, elect their officials. They're looking for answers. And they think freedom and democracy is the answer. And there's a weird deal going in Islam. About 15% are turned to hardcore extremism. About 20% have become so disillusioned they're just secular. They might as well be atheist. And there's this whole middle ground who's like, they don't like either extreme and they don't necessarily like where they're at. And that's why we're saying, wow, now is the time to engage Islam. Now is the time to proclaim Christ to them, to share the love of Jesus with them. A buddy just telling me he was up in Dearborn, Michigan, sharing. Dearborn, Michigan has one of the largest Muslim communities in the nation. He was up in Dearborn sharing with a man. And uh, it turned out the man was an imam, a, a Muslim cleric, runs a mosque. And, and the man uh, repented. He confessed Jesus Christ. He prayed to receive the Lord. And, and the guy says, well, tell me your story. And the guy said, well, the first time I ever questioned Islam, was on 9-11. I said, is that something I want to be a part of? And then he began his search for God, and he, he's now converted. He's now serving the Lord. Yeah, praise God. We have a, we have a team. This, this Arab Spring, is, it's, it's amazing. We have a team in North Africa, and... It's where the Arab Spring started. And when the president left, the president had strict censorship on all the internet. The year before, our, our team operates an evangelistic website. We had 3,000 hits on our website because they were always shutting it down. They were always censoring it. We were always moving it, from, moving it around, trying to dodge the government. We only had 3,000 hits on it all year. In, in February the president left. Now on this website, you can watch the Jesus film. You can download a New Testament. Uh, you, you can say, you, I have interest in, in the gospel and we will arrange a follow-up call with you. There's 400 people on a waiting list waiting for our team to get to them. So far this year, after the president left, there's been 750,000 hits on this website. Yeah, yeah, praise God. 
by God's grace, we're praying for a million hits. We're praying for a church planting movement that will sweep this nation and bring thousands of millions into the kingdom. In, in Algeria, in Algeria, uh, the gospel is growing so incredibly. They, they are building churches with giant crosses on them that will seat a thousand people. Yeah, go figure that. Yeah. Yeah, in a, in a place where they're, you're, you know, we're accustomed to thinking, well, they got to meet in a house because if you build a building, they'll come out and they'll burn it down. And they'll kill you. Nah, they're doing that. Mission agencies asked the Algerian church, do you guys want help? Do you need help? And, the, and they said, no, you know, we've got people in every town and city in Algeria already working. You ought to go some, help somebody else. Yeah, I'm a mission guy. I love that. Amen. Well, we can expect that to happen. Uh, of the two billion unreached, over a half are Muslim. In fact, 60% are Muslims. And, and, and God loves them, and God has a vision for them. And it's in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. Um, could you open your Bibles to Revelation 7, 9, and 10? Revelation 7, 9, and 10. And I want to tell you a story while you're getting there. I mentioned God's working out incredible stuff. There was a girl, and I, and I won't say her name, but she was in, she was in that country, and uh, she got disillusioned with Islam, and she began, to, she began to think, okay, where is God? What can I find God? What, what is truth, et cetera, et cetera? And, and, and she began to study the Quran, and she walked away thinking, ah, this ain't it. And, and so she goes to the capital city, where there's a cathedral. It wasn't necessarily, it was kind of Christian, but, you know, kind of one of those iffy brands. And yeah, I don't know how much I can say here. I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, uh, anyway, she goes to this cathedral and, and she tries to go in and they turn her away. They turn her down. So she goes out and she sits out on a bench and she starts to cry. She's just disillusioned, and she figures Christianity isn't it. And just then, uh, two guys from the, from the church plant we've done come up to her, and they see her crying, and they sit down, and they say, gosh, what's the matter? And she pours out her whole story. And they say, wow, you're not going to believe this, but we're Christians, and we're going to a church where you can get in. Why don't you come with us? She lights up like a Christmas tree. Yeah, let's go. She goes to church. She, she's in one service. She hears, she hears the sermon and she says, this is it. Who wants Jesus? She's, she's right there in the front row, man. This is what I've been looking for. Our, our worker said, asked her, what made the difference? She said, the love you guys shared. And I heard here the words of salvation. She didn't want to go to hell. She was afraid. She had a burden of conviction. She knew she, she needed God. And, she, and, and, and because of churches that send missionaries out, she heard the words of truth, and she's saved, and she's headed for heaven now. Yeah, praise God for that. All right, we should be in Revelation 7, 9, and 10 now. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, and we, and we know that that word nation means ta ethne, every ethnic group. It's not necessarily a political nation, 
It doesn't mean like the United States, but it means every ethnic group within the United States and within the whole world. Every nation, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. They, they've been forgiven. Palm branches were in their hands, a symbol of peace, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Just like this girl, Nazarene. Salvation to our God and to the Lamb. She has found salvation. And we know that, that whatever we think about Muslims, we know that, that God has spoken and they will be there before the throne. Representatives from every people group on the face of the earth, Hindu, Buddhist, every type of people will be there before God. They'll be worshiping him, and they'll be saying salvation to our God, and they'll be thrilled, and we'll spend all of eternity in our Father's house with these folks. So it's an exciting vision. Now, for that to happen, something's got to happen first. And in Matthew 24, 14, Matthew 24, 14, it says... And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. And again, it's that same idea, ethnic groups, people groups, and then the end shall come. So the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the people groups, to all the ethnic groups, and then the end shall come. Now, now think of this in terms of the last days. When do we know we're in the last days? When we get close to the point where the gospel's been preached to all the nations, right? Because after that happens, then the end will come. So I want to I show you some stats on this. In, in 1800, in 1800, 70% of the world had never heard the gospel. Now, Christianity has been around for 1,800 years, and 70% and of the world still had not heard the gospel. Now, I'm not Jesus, and I don't judge the church, but it doesn't really look like we're really doing a great job at that point. <laughs> Let's just talk in family here with just us and the 2,000 people on the internet, and et cetera. But in 2010, 28% had never heard. Okay, 1,800, 70%. 2010, 28%. Yeah! Thank you. Sign that person up for a mission trip, man. <laughs> yeah. There, there's been incredible progress, mind-boggling progress. When, 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 we, when pastor says, hey, this is a time like no other time, yeah, it's a time like no other time. This thing is going forward like never before. In fact, we're in one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world. I don't know if you've ever seen these stats. In, in the year 1000, we're going to put them up on the screen, the world population was 270 million. Of those, 1 million were Christians. And in the year 1000, we really weren't smoking this. I mean, we weren't really cooking. I mean, we weren't really rolling it up. But, but look at the year 1900. World population, 1.6 billion. Uh, Christians, 78 million. It's starting to churn. Look at the year 2010, 6.7 billion people in the world, 800 million Christians. Now, the, between 1900 and 2010, the world population grew four times over, right? About that? But the number of Christians grew over 10 times over. All right, Latin America, let's say, yeah. Yeah. 
That's exciting. So when we say, hey, this is different than any other time in history, I, we got hard data here. This is really different. You're, in the, you're living by God's grace in the midst of the greatest revival in the history of the world. You might, you might not think about that because, you know, in the United States, we're worried about the church. But, but if we will pray and if we will work, God will multiply our efforts and, and God will bring revival to the church in the United States. But I, I wish God would raise up 10,000 more churches like this one. You know, I, I really do. I, I mean, we would, we would end this deal. We would, we would reach the ends of the earth. We, we'd be done. We could all go home. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in, in 1900, I want to talk to you about the total number of, of unreached people groups. Did you guys see the unreached people groups scroll out when we had it here? Did any of you see it? Like four of you? No, come on. Okay, yeah, thank you. Uh, now, the unreached people groups, uh, that means they have no Jesus, no church, no Bible, no gospel. They, they just don't know. They're just in darkness. And in the year 1900, there were 40,000 unreached people groups. That scroll that, that we rolled out was almost the length of a football field. But in 1900, if we were to roll it out, it'd be five football fields. I mean, you'd, you'd, be, you'd roll across the street, you'd roll it down, you'd roll it all the way down to, I don't know, over to the freeway or something. I mean, it would be really far. But now, look at it today. The year 2010, 6,700 unreached people groups left. Look at the incredible progress in the last 100 years. The very time that God is shaking the world, he's shaking the nations, God is also helping the gospel to advance as never before. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Now, now you don't kind of, when you watch the news, you can almost feel like, Man, Christianity is just getting hammered all over the globe. And, you know, if you're, if you're yeah, you can. I asked my son, I said, how do you feel after you, read the, after you read the news or watch the news? He goes, I feel depressed, Dad. Yeah, it's kind of a downer, like bad news is what sells, so we get a steady diet of bad news. And it can actually twist almost the way we look at the world. But, that, but, but that's not the whole story. Yeah, horrible things are happening, but that's not all of it. God's doing incredible things across the globe, and we're alive to see it. I, I want to share with you uh, uh, a, a poem. Um, we had a lady that we, we were training her to mobilize her, give her, give her this, hey, let's engage the nations thing. And, and she got on the internet, and she's making friends with uh, Muslims in another country, and she's engaging them, and she, she's excited about it, and she wrote a poem. I want to read it to you. You're going to see it up on the, on the screen. The title of the poem is, Show Me Your Glory Today, Lord. And she says, if you do not go with me, I do not want to go. But if you do not take me to the nations, take me to heaven now, I beg you. I would rather go into your presence today with a burning heart than years from now with a lukewarm one. I am in desperate need of a radical gift of grace to save me from this suffocating culture. I don't want to live shopping trip to shopping trip. I want to live fishing trip to fishing trip, fishing for men with you in my boat. I'm not afraid to die for you today with the gospel on my lips, but I am afraid to waste away, falling asleep to the world's lullaby. Please don't let the church sing me to sleep. 
Take me to the nations, Lord. Show me your glory today. I would rather join those in heaven who see you and know your worth than allow one more day to slip by me on earth, poisoned by pride and play. On the glorious day of your return, I do not want to be found on a yacht while the world is sinking, in a fine restaurant while the world is starving, with a closet of fine clothes while so many still naked, caring more for my lawn than for souls. Please, Lord, I pray, show me your glory. Take me to the nations or take me home to heaven today. Now, uh, may, may we have a heart like that. And I, I want to I close and challenge you with one more verse from Matthew 6, 9, and 10. Matthew 6, 9, and 10. This is a real well-known passage, the Lord's Prayer. We're just going to look at a part of it. Matthew 6, 9, and 10. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to just look at that prayer for a second. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now that phrase literally means, please, Father, make your name holy. Your kingdom come. May your kingly rule come into being. Now, right now, the kingdom of God is spiritual. It's in human hearts. It's not physical yet. It's spiritual. Every heart where where Jesus doesn't reign, the prayer is that he would begin to reign there and that, that his will would be done on this earth just like it is it's perfectly done in heaven. Now, let's think about that prayer. God wants his name to be holy and his will to be done perfectly in Saudi Arabia and in Yemen and in Iran and in Iraq. He wants it done everywhere on earth. He he, he wants it done in Hollywood. Hollywood. He, He wants it done in the Supreme Court. He wants it done in Congress. He wants it done in Corona. He wants it done in, in, in your school board. He wants, it, he wants his will to be done in the office where you work and his name to be holy. He wants it done in every Cub Scout troop, in every sports team. Everywhere where people are, he wants his name to be holy and his will to be done. And frankly, sometimes in, in, in our hearts, we read these prayers and we might let it just slip by without thinking that God He is willing to answer this prayer. He longs to answer this prayer. It's his will that this happen. It's his will that all men come to him. It's his will that everyone be saved. It's his will that his name is holy and his will is done. And he's willing to intervene and change things and act on our behalf. Let's pray this prayer with faith. Let's pray believing God. Let's pray believing in a God that's shaking the nations and bringing people all over the globe to himself. Let's bear down and finish this task of of reaching all the unreached people groups, and then the end will come. Let's get the job done, and let's let's hear the final trumpet sound, and let's go up and be with the Lord. Let's get raptured. Let's get the job done, and let's wrap this pup up. Let's go home.
You guys are awesome. I love preaching to you. God, I'm going to close with prayer, and Chuck's going to come on up. Father, we love you and honor you. We praise you for a heart that longs for all the nations. Uh, we know, Father, you're bringing things to closure. You're empowering your church to, to finish the task. Uh, missionaries are being sent out from all over the world, Father. Uh, we're engaging these unreached people groups. Father, we pray that, that, we would, that we would hear the trumpet sound. We pray, Father, that this job would be done. We pray it for the honor and the glory of the Lamb that was slain. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Eric. We live in the most amazing time. We really do. And God has positioned the world so he can reach out so people's lives can be touched and changed. And that's what it's about. It's about the fact that right now Christianity is growing twice as fast as Islam. It's about that Christianity is growing three times as fast as Buddhism and Hinduism combined. And you might say, well, why is that such a big deal? Because God is literally taking this world. He's reaching out because he cares for people. I want to read you that passage again out of Acts 17. It says, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Why? That they would seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, because he is not far from each and every one of us. And then it says, For in him we live and move and exist, for we are also his children. It's about people understanding that God is not just God. He wants to become our father. He wants to become our dad. And there isn't one person who's sitting in this room today by accident. He knew where you would live. He knew who you would be. He thinks about you all the time. And that amazing message is the message of a God who loves and cares for us so we could exist and move. And in him, not alone from him or apart from him, but in him we could have our being, our very existence. And you know what God has called us in these days and time to reach out? Carol Duarte is a member of our church, and a couple years ago Carol walked up and she said, I've got some questions I want to ask you. And I thought, wow, these are great questions. Where would you get these? And Carol said, well, I was sharing Christ with a young girl. And I said, how would you meet her? She goes, on the computer. And, and she, for the last two years, had been building a relationship with a young girl in Yemen. And she ended up leading her to Christ. And recently, the young girl wrote and said, would it be okay if I called you mom? Isn't that deep? And you see, what I, I grab from that is God has allowed you and I to make a difference like you can't imagine. And we need to be doing it. But I also know this. It doesn't matter whether you're in Yemen or Iraq or Anaheim, or Corona, or anywhere. God loves you. And in Him, in Him, when you start understanding that, you realize He has a plan for your life. In Him, He has an existence that He wants you to fulfill and live out. In Him, you live and move. You have being. You have life. You have meaning. Today, if you're not experiencing the kind of life God wants you to have, because you don't know him. You're not in a relationship with him. We want to invite you today to enter that relationship. How do you do that? Well, you pray. You say, I'm in. God, open up my heart. Take me. Fill me with your love. I'm in. 
And I'm going to lead a prayer in a moment. We'll give you a chance to, to pray that prayer. Now, during this time, I want to make sure we understand this is the most important time in the service. So we don't want anyone to, to get up and leave during this time. We want you to really just tune in with us and, and be sensitive to what God's about to do. I'm going to invite right now any of you who do not know Christ to pray and give your life to him. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to actually make a, a stand and walk forward and say yes to him. And we want to just focus on that right now. So let's pray. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would really, truly move and touch people. God, I pray right now that if there's someone here who needs to give their life to you, I pray that they would. If there's a Christian here, Lord, who saw that poem and they realize that they have not been having their heart and mind where it should be, I pray today they'd recommit. Father, if there's someone here right now who they're hurting or in pain, they're, they're disappointed, they're lonely, God, I pray right now they'd open up their heart and let you bring healing. So, Lord, I pray that you're going to begin to start touching different people in this room, and they're going to know that this is the moment they ought to say yes to you. I pray right now they can sense it, they can feel it. There's a, a person here who I think is feeling empty, God. And today they're about to open up their heart and let you fill them with love. And Lord, I think there's someone right here too that they haven't felt anything for a long time. They're kind of numb. God, they're starting to feel. So Lord, whatever the need is, I pray that people would understand the answer is you. Whether it's to come to you for the first time or come back, I pray they will. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And right now, if you're right with God, I'm going to ask you to start praying for people to make this decision. Just start praying for them. And right now, I'm going to lead a prayer for anybody who wants to say yes to God, either to come to him for the first time or to recommit your life. Now, if you're here today and you're not in a very intimate, real, personal relationship with God, I know he wants you to have it. He really does. The question is, do you want it? And if you do, here's the beginning of the process. Say yes to him. Say yes to him. And right now, I'm going to lead a prayer. And if you're ready to say yes, I'm just going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper this prayer with me. So just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me and to cleanse me completely of all my sin and all my failure. To heal me from hurt and from pain. To free me from worry. To free me from fear. And to free me from my past. And you want me alive. You want me new. Brand new. And you want me to be yours. So I say yes. Yes, I want you. Yes, I want the life you have for me. And yes, I want to be yours completely. So please fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer today, praise God.